This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 910, Spotlight on Foundation, episode 1. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 910. It's our spotlight on Foundation, the uh, pilot or premiere episode. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. I'm joined by my co-host for a lot of movies and television talk, and that's Tibor May. Tibor, say hello to everybody. How's it going? So, this is an interesting one for me. So, Foundation is a new series on, I guess, Apple... What do they call it? Apple Plus or Apple TV? I'm not sure. I'm always un- unclear what it's actually called. It's called Apple TV Plus, I think, officially. Okay, so Apple TV Plus. So a new show on that is Foundation. Now, Foundation is, uh, you know, it's an adaptation more or less of, maybe a little less than more at times, but it's an adaptation of a very classic series of books. Originally, a trilogy that was named, I think, in 66, the, the best uh, tri- sci-fi trilogy of all time, um, at, at least at that point, in, in terms of books. Um, and it was always considered to be something that was probably untranslatable to film or TV. Uh, and now, here we have Apple Plus TV kind of saying, let's give it a shot. We're getting 10 episodes in this season. I don't know if they've committed to more or not, but at least for the first season, we're getting 10 episodes. The first two episodes just aired uh, or not aired, rele- were released this past Friday, which would have been the 24th of uh, September. Uh, we're only specifically talking about episode one here today. I know that, Tibor, you've seen most of episode two? No, no, I've only watched episode one. Oh, you only watched episode one. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and myself, I have not... Uh, I, I think I got five minutes into the second episode, just didn't have time. The first thing that struck me more than anything was the runtime was very long, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I was just surprised, because I feel like usually on these streaming shows, I feel like they don't usually breach that hour-long mark. I feel like we've had Disney Plus shows where they've gone, like, 50 to 55, but it's very rare, I think, to see something over an hour. What was your take on the actual length? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot that happens in the episode, but I, like it is kind of slow at the beginning. It's a lot, a lot of setup at the beginning, so it's a, I, I, you know, I didn't feel it was like. I, I'm kind of glad actually that it was longer, right? Because you, you get more sort of of the story at the end of the episode than you do at the beginning. That's true. Yeah, the beginning is definitely a little slower, and then we kind of rocket through afterwards. It's interesting. So again, I'm a huge fan of the original books. Uh, I've mentioned this on a previous episode uh, that to this one, a comic talk episode. But uh, my original interpret um, introduction to Foundation was actually uh, I don't know if you remember this T word. Do you remember Mister Zambrano in Grade Ten? Uh, the name's familiar. I can't remember it offhand though. Like, so he was like a, a grade Grade Ten economics teacher and. So he, I remember being in his class, and he had an assignment that you had to read a novel. Uh, he had a big list of novels that were uh, kind of on his recommended list, and you had to do basically a report on the economic systems of the of the book, or like there's in the book there was a certain economic system at play, and you had to basically write a paper describing it and, and kind of going into detail. So I remember taking that list to my to my house and showed it to my dad. I'm like, Dad, do you know any of these books? And he's like, Oh, I know a Foundation. So he pulled out. 
uh, which I think is a 1966 printing of the, or 1970 printing of the original trilogy. He's like, yeah, these, these are the books. So I'm like, all right, great. So I read that first book, loved it, and then went back and read the rest of the, of the two books. And in the intervening years, I would then go to the library and find out that there was, you know, two sequel books and then two prequel books. And eventually he tied it in with a whole other series of books that he had done. So Isaac Asimov had written all these books. So I was always a huge fan of Foundation. And I've always been so scared of seeing a translation. So for me, I'm the kind of the, not the diehard, but the one who really loves the source material. And so I was curious about this because I believe you don't have any real interaction with the original books. Am I right? Yeah, no, I am going in completely blind. Like other than I know that it's an Asimov book. Okay. So I guess I want to give you the floor then and tell me what your initial interpretations were of this world, of the kind of principal concept that's been given to you, at least in the first episode, because I'm really curious how it works to someone who really has no background in the material, whereas obviously for me as a fan, I'm like, okay, that's that, that's that, that's different, blah, blah, blah. I'm very curious about someone who has no previous, you know, uh, preconceived notions of the material is in, is actually taking it in. Yeah, I'll- like I think at the the beginning of the like the episode he, uh, is intentionally kind of makes you feel lost. Like you you get really thrown into what's going on. Like you're just kind of trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So it's a, um, it's 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 very much setting up the sort of uh, like look and feel of the show. Like that first, I guess I don't know, maybe forty forty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then uh, then you get quite a bit of information. It's kind of crazy. There's like there's a lot of info dump. Like back half of the episode right oh for sure so, uh, yeah um, I mean it's, it's just so crazy like what they can do now right with the technology now and with the CGI and everything it's like anything is possible now right so it's uh, it's pretty wild Oh, for sure. Like, I think the the first thing that really struck me is that they spent money on this, you know, like it didn't look cheap. It looked like they had really invested a, a lot into making this look good and, and making it feel real and like kind of lived in. Um, I mean, we were dealing with a lot of, you know, far out ideas and concepts and worlds and a lot of world building. Uh, either you have to have the money to kind of, you know, make it look real or really try and fake it till you make it. And I thought, what was yeah exceedingly clear to me was that they really did spend money on this. And actually, one thought I had is, I wonder if they they spend all the money on making it look good and the cinematography and really making it look like a movie that maybe they didn't have as much money left over for actors. Now, I'm not saying the actors didn't do a good job, but they're not exactly the big name people that would bring you to a show. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not a lot of big names, and there's not a ton of characters yet, right? Like, but that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But um... Uh, the, uh, the the principal character, I guess, is the the mathematician, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, um, I really like that actor. He's done a lot of great stuff. Um, last thing I remember him like, you know, uh, Mad Men. He oh, was sure. in that. So, uh, so it right away threw me back to that. But, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using some uh, like you know lesser known. So the, sometimes it's a better way to go because you don't have as many preconceived notions, right? That's very true. Now, I will say, so what I found interesting, and it didn't bother me at all, and I don't, so far it hasn't really fundamentally altered how I interpret the material. It's interesting to me that so far there have been at least two gender swaps. Um, so in the original, there really aren't a lot of female characters. It's predominantly male. Um, so it kind of made sense to me that they would maybe try to switch some things around. So the kind of vizier, so to speak, of um, of the emperor uh, Demer- I don't even think they ever give them a name. It's Ido Demerzel. Um, is originally a male in the in the books, but here is a woman, and that didn't bother me as much as if they ever tried to do 
what what Asimov does, and I'm going to speak very vaguely here because it is kind of a spoiler, so just, although I don't think they're ever going to get there, there's something about that character that I would argue that it kind of needs to be male or it would be weird to have it not be male but at the same time if they don't go with that direction it doesn't matter that it's a woman um, and then the main real protagonist that really kind of gets us into this story is Gale and Gale is also a man in the in the book but again I, I don't think anything really fundamentally changes here at least so far and also um, the character uh, who's kind of at the beginning in the kind of the future 35 years from now uh, period uh, Salvor Hardin is originally a, a man in the in the original story as well that's the one i was more curious about not so much that they did the swap but also the fact that it was a 35 year uh, time gap instead of 50 years uh, which i believe it is in the in the original book but i mean who cares it doesn't need to be that you know I, I don't know if the years have to be that much that precious about it but it was just interesting to see the gender swaps and how they're kind of operating on that um they also included a character who was not in the originals because he didn't exist yet and then when he did the prequels he added this character in and that's the character of rach uh, or so the I guess the the young kind of um, the young uh, black guy who's basically I guess his protege in the books he's his son uh, or his adopted son I guess not maybe not his son um, he, but he's more of a like a, a son figure and I guess they kind of play that up here but they don't go into too much detail about it. Yeah, I, I didn't really catch that like that it was his son. It was like I, like I just thought he worked for him. And, I, and honestly, I don't, I don't think it changes the reading either way. Like, you can tell he's a disciple of, of Harry Seldon, that he really believes in his work, and he's, again, a young protege, and I think that's more than enough. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you don't, like, you don't get a ton of uh, character stuff so much as, as you get uh, more, it's, it's very plot-heavy. Yeah, it's, it's exceptionally plot-heavy. Um, so the, the the big change, but it's an interesting one, and I'm curious how it plays out, um, is the concept of the emperor, or because here we have more of a an interesting idea that there's you know cloning in the in the royal uh, in the imperial family, and I love the names, right? It's uh, uh, you know brother dusk, brother dawn. So you have like kind of you know the, the young kid, the older version, and then kind of the the current version. Oh yeah, which is they're all three the same same person, right? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're just clones. Which is really an interesting idea. Again, that's not from the original text. It was definitely just like a, just a guy. Um, but I think it probably makes sense to try and create some sort of uh, villain who, as they move the timeline forward, would still be around uh, in a way that would still be vital. So you could still use Lee Pace and still make him the villain, uh, or at least the antagonist or like this other figurehead, and it still works because there's a reason why he's still around and he hasn't aged out. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Um, as I said, Foundation is really difficult to imagine how they're going to make it a TV show in a way that keeps people's interest. Um, so I'm, I'm very curious, and I think that was probably a deliberate, uh, reasonable way of going about it, of creating this other thing inside what the the Imperial family already was. So I really like that idea. And again, the idea that you know Harry Seldon is really against it and kind of saying that like if you stop the cloning, it'll it'll make it better, but not it'll slow it down, but it won't make it better. Right, yeah, uh, it's an interesting concept. It's like, again, I'm going into the fresh, I have no no idea, you know, what's what's in the books, what's not. But yeah, um, I didn't think of it from that perspective of the sense that it's going to keep time shifting, so that makes sense to to keep him around. I, again, that, that, I, that may be a, a slight spoiler from me, so I apologize, but I, obviously there's the idea of, we already know that we're moving at least 35 years into the future. Uh, I'm really curious what yeah. that... 
is going to mean and what it's going to look like. But again, this episode had a lot of plot to kind of get through. A lot of this actually is more or less the first short story that makes up uh, the first foundation book. Originally it was a series of short, interconnected short stories um, that were all kind of connected in this world. So this one more or less is that first one. Um, it added, adds some elements like the sky bridge being attacked. Um, the idea of there already being unrest at the periphery with Anacreon and Thepsis. Um, but uh, again, those Anacreon is from the book and actually, does definitely play a big part so i like that you know again they're introducing things earlier which in theory will play out later yeah that's cool it's a, um, yeah like it, it definitely is plot heavy with the and yeah I, I was wondering the same thing like is it going to go 35 years and then we're going to be 35 years ahead or is it going to time jump back and forth like I'm, I'm i'm curious to see where that goes i i don't know i i feel like maybe we have almost done a disservice by not, I guess, re- watching all of the second episodes so far. But I'm curious to maybe after the season's over, there's supposed to be, I think, 10 episodes. I'd be interested to have kind of a debrief with you afterwards to kind of see where it went for you and if it kind of, you know, um, delivered on any of the promises that you felt they kind of gave you after the first episode. Like, again, all you really know is that they're going to, you know, they're going to send these, these, these people to establish the Encyclopedia Galactica uh, over on Terminus, and we find out that, Peter, that Harry Seldon kind of knew that they were going to likely pick Terminus, and so this is all part of his plan. He's playing kind of chess within you know the, the larger scheme of things, so people think that they're so smart and they're putting him out to pasture, but this is exactly what he wanted to begin with. So, again, great concepts here, um, and I, I like to see how they play that out, because the idea that Harry Seldon is so far ahead... Yeah, it was a, and I guess that's all based on his his uh, like theorem, right? It was all like his mathematics. Yeah, the idea that he's using his his psychohistory to uh, you know to develop something, so he's kind of not surprised. And again, he has an idea. It's interesting too because Asimov kind of patterned the whole kind of idea off the plan, off the uh, the, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. So the idea that you had this big empire that thought it could never fail, and then it completely vanished, you know, kind of crumbled, and then you eventually have the Dark Ages. So it's kind of patterned after that concept. So now we have a, a more galactic you know, uh, Imperium, but it's the same principal concept of you have an empire who thinks it's always going to be around, has ruled for so long, but obviously eventually things will fall apart and it's going to lead to this massive dark age. So again, there's this parallel with human history and it's just taking it to a much larger extreme. Yeah, and I mean, it's a story that's been done lots of times, right? Like every empire falls, right? I mean, even like when they call themselves the empire, I thought of Star Wars as well, right? Mm -hmm. That's true. So it's a but um, but yeah, I mean it's an age old tale in that sense. But it's just how they execute it will be interesting to see. Yeah, and again, it's an interesting concept about someone who says like you know we can't stop it, but we can you know reduce the amount of time that humanity goes into barbarism, so that you know it's and it's an interesting idea because if you go to like you know if you were to go to a you know a current ruler, the current ruler is not going to be able to really see you know, that far in ahead. Like, they only care about their lifetime. You know what I mean? Like, there's something about power and not really being able to see the grand picture. So you have this guy who's saying, like, you know, it's going to be eons of of chaos, but we can shorten it to a thousand years. Wouldn't that be better? And it's just an interesting idea of, like, you know, would someone in power ever be able to kind of think that far ahead? Probably not. Because, again, it's interesting, too, with having this imperial family where it's always the same it's the same person over and over and over again. It's an even more interesting idea of them being able to see outside themselves. And obviously they can't, um, but it's curious how that'll work. I'm really curious when we see more characters being developed, um, 
he, I, obviously we have this idea of this mysterious kind of artifact on on that I guess it was Terminus and th- them not really understanding what it is. I'm really curious how that plays out. Well, isn't that the isn't that the encyclopedia? That's my understanding. Like uh, that's what I got out of it. Uh, I'm not sure that's what that is. Um, again, like it's very different in the books. The books definitely have a different kind of take on what happens on Terminus, uh, what the ultimate plan is in, on Terminus, and and how it all fits into the sound, uh, Harry Seldon's Foundation plan. So I'm very curious what exactly it is. Maybe that's all it is, but I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I like. That, that was my takeaway. But I mean, again, we're only one episode in, so that <laughs> was my takeaway. Still, was, yeah, there's still. There's still nine more to go, and I guess here's the question I put forth to you. So, given you've watched this one episode and you have this main conceit of the, you know them trying to f- establish something to try and save or um, you know make sure that humanity doesn't have to go through as much of a dark age, what what would you expect the rest of the show to look like? Given that that's the concept and that's we're we're seeing these these guys going over to Terminus, what what is your kind of take away from that first episode and what your expectations are and what you're looking forward to about the show. And I guess the big question is, if it wasn't for this podcast, would you continue watching Independent? Yeah, like, I mean, it, there was enough there that I want to see the next one. It was at, uh, and then, you know, I'm sure I'll, like, I'll probably finish the whole thing. It's at, uh, but yeah, it, I mean, it was, uh, it's an interesting episode in the sense of, like, a lot, like, the first part, like, ooh, ah, look at, you know, like you said, they've, they've definitely put money in this. Mm-hmm. Like everything is, you know, top quality. Like CGI, it all looks really solid. It, it looks like a film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty impressive that it's like an hour and fourteen minutes or thirteen something, right? Like that's a that's a long first episode. There's a lot going on there. Um, but yeah, I'm curious how it's, how the story is going to be told. Like, is it going to cut back and forth between um, the the mathematician and uh, like them setting all all of it up and then going thirty five years? Like, is it going to be cutting back and forth mm. to tell the story? Like, I'm I'm curious how the story is going to be told. Like, you know, and plus obviously with the, the like I'm I'm very much a character person, right? So I I, I tend to prefer shows that um, where the characters are more important than the plot in a lot of ways. Mm. So um, so, so, that, so I am curious like how the characters are going to develop as well. Because I feel like the characters right now, like you just kind of are told what they're about, but you don't really have a, a great sense of the characters yet. That's true. It's interesting because I, I mean, as someone who's read the books, I think there's a weird fine line there that a lot of it is plot heavy and these really big concepts, and that Asimov is kind of moving forward. Um, and at times, the characters. Not that they suffer, but they're not always given as, as much room to really develop in terms of what they do. But again, it's all in service of this this bigger plot. Um, so I'm curious how the adaptation is going to be able to figure that out and work it. And again, a, a big thought of mine is, you know, for how many seasons are we going to get until and kind of tell the full story? Because uh, if you read the first, you know, novel of Foundation, you're not really getting all of it. I mean, again, it's a trilogy of books, um, but I mean, you're you're getting a lot, and it's a really cool concept, but it's not really giving you everything right it, it it gets you up to a certain point so I'm, I'm just curious how it'll work i do am very thankful that it ended up being on a platform like apple tv plus where you know they're not as constrained by runtime um or by you know kind of how they you know position act breaks or that kind of stuff like that's not that's kind of a worry of the past when you have a streaming show like this where it's not worried about you know traditional formula and i think it really succeeds and kind of shows that it really couldn't have existed in a an earlier kind of format of tv before streaming was big um one thing i am curious about is 
does this work on a week-to-week kind of release basis, or would this have been one of those shows that would have benefited more from a, from more of a binge format where everything was were kind of released at once? And I'm curious how that play how it'll play out as we go through the series, and and I'm curious how what I'll feel like at the end. Where do I think that this would have been better if we just binged it, or do I think it actually does benefit from that kind of week of thinking about it, letting it sit in, and then going into another episode? Um, like me personally, honestly, I, I prefer the week to week, uh, format. Like, and I don't know if that's just cause I'm old school and that's how I remember TV when I was growing up, mm-hmm. but like, I just find it more enjoyable than binging you know, for most things, right? It, cause it gives you time to digest everything and kind of think things over and then anticipate the next episode. Um, I don't know. To me, uh, it, it's a more enjoyable format, but I mean, the, the kind of cool thing about streaming in a way though is like. For you and I that we're starting out, like, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people are starting out watching it, that the, they're stuck to that format. But then later on, people will pick it up and binge it, right? So mm-hmm. it has that sort of both, like, both versions exist kind of, right? Like, there's two realities there, right? Eventually, it will be a bingeable show. That's true. So it is interesting how that plays out as well, in a way, right? No, you're very, very, uh, that's very correct. Actually, as you were saying there about how, you know, some shows seem to benefit more from binging and others don't. I think that, like, when you had the first kind of Marvel Netflix shows, I think those worked more as a binge because I feel like they didn't always move along, <laughs> move the best and had a really weird sense of pacing, whereas if you if you watch, like, a bunch of them at once, I think it worked better, whereas the more modern, like, kind of Marvel Studios stuff, I think really works with, with the week-to-week format. Like, I think The Mandalorian was the same. I think getting one a week, and it really built that sense of inter- um, anticipation, and I think it reminded us, again, what it was like to watch real TV because... When we got used to the binging format for a couple of years, you would have everything all at once. You'd have it, you'd you know, watch it over a weekend, and then it would just be kind of done. And you'd be like, "Oh, I guess it's over." But there was something about, especially something like you know, The Mandalorian, having every you know every week was a new episode. You got more excited about it uh, as you kind of rocketed through the conclusion. And I don't think it would have landed the same way if you didn't have to appreciate it that way. Getting one morsel at a time made you appreciate that morsel, as opposed to having it all at once, and then you're not really. You'd be like, well, which episode was that? Oh, I, I watched them all at once. I don't have any sense anymore. Whereas having that week-to-week format, and WandaVision was big for that too, it heightened everyone's anticipation. You only got a little bit, and then just when you got just enough, they'd cut you off and say, come back next week, and that worked better. Yeah, well, and I think that's like, you know, there, there's something to say for that type of format, right? Like, And, you know, TV has changed, and like we don't have to deal with commercials as much anymore and stuff like that. But um, but I think I think uh, writers have realized that in a way too. Like it, and it also I'm sure from like a marketing perspective too. If it generates hype on social media and all that, it translates to you know for them, right? Like that's uh, that you know it is a business in the end, right? So, but um, but I think from a storytelling point of view, that like it is more it, it's more interesting that way in a way, right? Like that uh, you get to think things through and you kind of like oh maybe this is where it will go, or you kind of have theories on things. Yeah, you know, and then you get to wait and see to, to like what it ends up being, right? So mm-hmm. personally, I like it. I, I really enjoy it. But I also like the fact that like uh, like I'm also watching Ted Lasso, right? And I've I, I watched that series, you know, you know, every episode every week, and I've really enjoyed it. You know, it's always great to look forward to. But then I've gone back and I have binged it, like you know. So uh, when I went back and binged it, it was kind of cool because you see certain things that connect through, like mm. you know, and later on, so you pick up things that second run around, right? So I think that, you know, shows can benefit from that, too, where you have the both options, right? Which is kind of neat. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's nice when... 
yeah, you, when you kind of go back and, and see all the little touches, right? Like, obviously, in the writer's room, they have an idea of what they're doing and how it's all going to kind of fit together. But it's it's nice when you can't see it the first time and then you can see it later. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, that that also, like, it depends on the, on, on the writing, right? Like, I mean, I, I find, like, a lot of these shows, though, like, if it's well-written, you know, they know they're, they're going to have 10 or 12, and they go, okay, well, let's plot this out. So we sort of know where the overall story is going to go. And then if it's done well, then yeah, those threads are already planted earlier and then you can kind of see them. But if you're watching it week to week, you may not see all those pieces. But then when you go back and you go, oh shit, they already planted that seed in episode one or episode two and it reared its head in episode six, right? Like it's cool when they they do that kind of stuff. For sure. I do find that... When I, when I do watch kind of, you know, the streaming shows where you get like, let's say six to 10 episodes, um, that I have less, um, tolerance for kind of really shitty writing now, because I feel like back in the day when they had to do like 24 episodes a year, that's insane. Like that's an insane amount of work that they had people doing for like 50 years. And the fact that, you know, so many shows were able to do that on a relatively consistent basis, even if they had a few stinkers every year, I'm like all the more power to them. But if you're only making you know, between six and ten, the level of quality has to be a lot higher. Yeah, I agree. With the, I mean, especially like, yeah, like uh, personally, I think I think ten or twelve is, is the, like a great number. Six is almost too short. Mm-hmm. It depends on the material, I guess, right? But uh, to me, ten or twelve feels very really comfortable. And yeah, I agree. Like, if it's you know, do it right. I mean, hell, like you have you you know you have this many episodes, arc it out. I mean, we know that Star Trek Picard kind of suffered from that. It didn't feel. Like they had it properly, you know, planted out ahead of time and, and figured out. So it's unfortunate when, when they uh, they dropped the ball. Yeah, like I feel like the problem with Picard more than anything was that like it felt like like there are there are ways of doing a story where you have an overarching story, but you still have every episode still feels like a full story in and of itself. And I often didn't feel that was the case with Picard. I felt like it was just a chap you know chapter one of eight. It wasn't. You know, a story that helped serve the greater you know storyline, but also told you know a beginning, middle of an beginning, middle, and end of its own episode. And I never felt that was really yep. the case with that entire show. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, and you know, it's one of these shows written by committee, which not always is a bad thing, but with it, um, it, it, it feels like it was interfered with. You know, and I mean, if you read stuff about the behind the scenes, it, like like the whole Star Trek. Um, situation seems very like convoluted like you know people are interfered with and messed around with and not given a chance to like do a proper vision right and figure it out so it's unfortunate but hopefully this show doesn't suffer from that it's interesting too, right? Because we we grew up again in this this halcyon era of Star Trek TV, where you know it came back into the fore in a major way with with Next Generation, and you had this continued run of series for years, and you had a very consistent visual tone as well for what Star Trek was. And then ever since then, it just feels like no one cares about a consistent visual tone at all, and it's really unfortunate. Like even DS Nine, when it goes back to you know TOS, it uses actual footage. It feels like TOS, and they don't try to you know make it too modern. They're just they just kind of lean into what it is and instead we get all these other shows which are trying not to do that and just do their own thing and they just feel so different from the norm they don't feel like the natural extension they just feel like their own thing and I'm like yeah but you're in a world that has a visual style why can't we have that style yeah well I mean I, I get it in a, in, to a certain degree about like updating and, and making it a little bit more modern because like obviously the 60s enterprise is very dated now right like oh, yeah. let's, let's be honest but at the same time the Star Trek universe, like they decided to make that that 
visual consistency, right? So it is unfortunate in a way. It was a, uh, I mean, it would be hard to pull off an entire series like they're going into with Strange New Worlds. True. With like a 60s Enterprise. Like, <laughs> I mean, I could see the difficulty in that. They're trying to make that cool when you have like jelly beans on the, you know, <laughs> on a black uh, board, you know. Like but it, maybe it, just it don't little... do it then, right? Like, just keep moving forward. Why do we have to keep going backward? Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the things with Star Trek is that, like, as much as I enjoyed Enterprise, I think Enterprise was the prime example of don't go back. You know, don't go back. Star Trek should always look to the future and always should go forward. It's a dumb, and I, I think to me that 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 should be the formula. But obviously, that's not happening. So no. I'm not running it. <laughs> Especially when you um, want, but when like you know, again, like, by pushing forward, you can still use you know characters, concepts, uh, you know uh, races that have already been explored. Just do them in different ways. But when you try to do a prequel, but then you still want to use those toys, then you end up in situations like an Enterprise, where like wasn't the Ferengi there, but like they never saw the Ferengi, so that they could not see them, so that they could only you know they could see them later in TNG. Like wasn't that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you run into those like little continuity things, right? Where it's like, yeah, and then they try to explain them all way. You know, like um, the Klingon one is the other example, right? Like the first episode, you had a like TNG Klingon, and you know, pre TOS, and everybody was like, "What the hell is this?" Um, which they later on came around and did give a cool explanation, which I did enjoy. I thought the explanation was nice that it ended up being like uh, part of the uh, eugenics war experiments and stuff, and with the. the which they tied into, like, you know, the previously established Star Trek history, which was kind of cool. But at the same time, I think Enterprise is the example of don't go back, right? Like, with the, you did it once, it didn't work as well as it could have. With the, um, not that Enterprise is a bad series, but I think it's still better than Voyager myself. With the, um, but, yeah, I think Star Trek, the mo- motto should always be go forward. Like, because Star Trek's always about the future, and it's always about, you know, the brighter, better tomorrow, right? So It's interesting, because I feel like in a lot of ways... Yeah. The the pitch for Voyager works better in a modern context. Like it, it sounds like that would work better now. If someone was like, "Okay, we have this team, you know, we have this uh, this this crew of of the starship, and they get thrown to another galaxy, and they have to find fight their way home." I feel like in the modern, it would probably work better than it did back then because back then they were still trying to make it, you know, very Star Trekky and very like everything kind of resets to the code for the most part every day, every episode. And really, that sh- that ship should look torn apart and awful. And I feel like if they, if they did it modern they probably would do that yeah i know i mean it had potential to be different but it it, it kind of went formulaic and anyway that, that, that's voyager though to, uh, and, and star trek as a whole like the, you know there's also issues we could do a whole podcast on that but we should probably get back to foundation yes we should um I, we, we we can make the one star trek connection to bring it back with that um, that uh alexander siddick is uh in this yeah, I was le- it was nice to see him. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I saw him in anything, so it was really kind of cool that I, I texted you. I'm like, oh my god, Bashir's in this. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's a, uh, I, I thought he was cool. He was like a lawyer who said, uh, you know, on tri- uh, doing the trial there. It was kind of neat. So uh, good to see him. I think the last thing he did was uh, Game of Thrones. I think that was the last big thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, he, he, sure he, was, he, was, he was a nice face to see. You know, he did he did a good job with the role. Again, there's it was a lot again, very plot heavy. I liked um so as a as a fan of the books, I liked how they had 
uh, Harry Seldon's kind of handheld Prime Radiant, as he called it, uh, that he used that uh, Gale was able to kind of hack into and be able to, you know, see more of the of the overall plan as all the math. Um, I like the visual representation. I thought I thought that was interesting. Uh, again, a nice way of using special effects that if they had done this 20, 30 years ago, just would not have worked. Yeah, well, I mean, like the whole giving it scale, right? You know, this is very like it, it, it seems like a very epic, like large scale story. So it's a um, yeah, that kind of thing would would have been a lot more difficult to do back in the day. The um, you know every, everything like all the rooms, like you know everything had a lot of depth to it. With the you know the sets are obviously like I'm sure there's CGI extensions and stuff, but like a lot of that stuff looked really good. Like it was just very big. Everything felt big. It had it, it did feel like a film in a lot of ways, like uh, not just a regular TV series. Mm-hmm. I do think it was interesting. Again, I, I'd have to reread the book because I don't believe there was anything for Gale about the whole backstory of, of the planet and, you know, again, that she kind of embraced math and et cetera. And that was kind of against the religion of her planet. And she was kind of ostracized as a result. I thought it was really interesting. Adds a lot of uh, depth to that character, um, which again, I don't believe existed in anywhere in, in the original. So it was definitely interesting to kind of get that perspective on, you know, this, this choice to follow kind of math and science and what that means in a world of, you know, of religion. And I think that hopefully will play out, to a different degree as the series goes on because, again, there's the idea of, you know, the science of everything. That's what's guiding everything that they're doing, that they have the math that shows that they're doing the right thing to try and do the right thing uh, and what that means against those who are more, you know, spiritual believers. So I'm just curious how they'll kind of show that. But I really liked getting that Gale backstory. I thought it really added a lot to that character to make us, you know, more empathetic to her and her plight as she's, you know, suddenly involved in a whirlwind of crazy ideas, which again makes her a great character for us, the audience, to kind of see through because you know, we're also thrust into this world that we don't quite understand. Yeah, I also felt that it was a, um, it does feel um, like current, you know, in the sense of like, with a, you know, uh, sort of religious belief and, uh, and science, uh, you know, there's a lot of people right now denying science, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, that that felt kind of relevant. So it's a, uh, I don't know, if maybe that's why they decided to put it in there if it wasn't in the original. But um, but that felt that felt very right now. Mm-hmm. So. I did like, again, just looking at, like, again, as a way of exploring the world is, like, even just her journey to Trantor and what she has to go through, like, you know, on the hypersleep and all that idea. And then coming through the the sky bridge, I, I really liked the, you know, kind of leaning on that this is what life in that world would look like from a technological perspective. Uh, it maybe doesn't add a lot to the story per se, but again, it adds to that sense of world building, which is again, all present in the original books is that there's a lot of explanations of kind of, uh, of Trantor being this, you know, world where you don't see real sunlight. It's all, it's this giant kind of cave of steel uh, that you're underneath everything, but it makes it look a certain way. Um, and the idea of the sky bridge and that kind of stuff, a lot of that was there again, not, Everything in f- from this episode was there, like the destruction of the Sky Bridge, but uh, a lot of those elements were there in terms of the technology. And again, it makes it feel the world a little bit more lived in. Again, you get to experience it through someone who was living on a backwater, you know, kind of religious <laughs> zealot planet that who never got to really, you know, explore and really be in space. So it was a nice way of being able to understand the world without it feeling like it was beating it over your head. Yeah, it was a, like that. I guess that maybe that's why they went slow at the beginning and just kind of give you to give you that visual sort of experience at the beginning to sort of like slowly get into the world and whatever. Um, the sky bridge too, like you know, I mean that's an old concept of, of the uh, you know the space elevator. It's a, uh, so 
I mean, they've, they've been they've been talking about that forever, right? So it's, uh, so it's kind of neat to see it in, in, in practice. So it's a, that very much felt to me like a a, a nine eleven type attack. Mm. Like when when the when the sky bridge was that, uh, that's what came to mind for me immediately. It's a, um, you know the empire will fall. It's a, you know it it, it, it it's with launches sort of the start of the fall, I guess, right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, um, I guess my last comment about technology. Oh, no, I I lost it. Uh, it's not important, I guess. But yeah, no, I, I again, I I enjoyed it. Um, as you said, it started off a little slower, so we could kind of slowly kind of understand what's happening, and then it really ramped up uh, as a lot more you know ideas were being kind of thrown at you. Um, did you find again from a new reader's perspective, a new viewer perspective? Uh, did you trust Harry Seldon? Were you kind of curious if he was, if there was something else going on there? Like, obviously, we get a better sense by the end of the episode about really who he is and what he's about. But it kind of plays a little fast and loose at the beginning because, again, Gail is suddenly thrown, thrust into something that she did not expect. And again, we're meant to understand her sense of confusion. So did you think, is Harry Seldon a good guy? Or did you kind of think, no, he's probably on the right path? Yeah, no, for sure. It, uh, like, uh, as someone that does, doesn't know the characters, yeah, I wasn't sure where he stood, right? And, uh, and I'm, yeah, like, I'm sure that was intentional. Because, uh, yeah, you're like, what is, what is this guy doing? Like, you know, he's fucking this person over. Like, he's never even met this person. Like, is he trying to use that, this person as, like, a scapegoat for himself to get away from the authorities? Like, it, it definitely, yeah, it was a, um, I'm, I'm sure that was all intentional to just keep you guessing as to what, what this guy's true intentions are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but the the original Foundation stories, uh, again, there were originally a series of short stories, and they were originally published from 1942 to 1950. So these are, again, like 70-year-old stories, or actually almost 80 years old. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty wild that it took that long, right? But I mean, I mean it's, it's, you it's can kind of, see... It kind of thing, I think of the MCU, too, right? Like, you know, it's a, uh, how many times did they try... To bring characters to the screen and it just never worked it was just like the technology was limited and it kind of came off as cheesy and didn't work and then you know now you got the mcu right so mm-hmm. that's quite a gap too right it's stuff from the 60s and it's all relevant again right oh for sure it's interesting too because again he was you know isaac Asimov was writing this in a very different era so the idea like science fiction wasn't even that you know, developed obviously a, a, a genre per se, and the idea of—I mean, there's a lot of you know social science involved in this story about the idea of you know what, how to predict what masses would do, what this would mean, uh, how they would operate uh, if there was kind of a plan for them. Um, I'm interested to see again how it plays out on the screen, but the fact that he kind of you know developed all these ideas, pretty heady ideas, 80 years ago, is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, I know it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's neat how it's like you know uh, stuff is all relevant now too, right? It's still, mm-hmm. yeah, it still works. It's, a, uh, it's cool. And I mean, I, I'm curious as we go along, how much of the you know obviously a lot of sci-fi has borrowed some of the DNA from Foundation. And it's interesting that now we're finally getting a Foundation TV series, and that you know the wider kind of masses will be able to appreciate and enjoy if if they're not readers. Uh, so it's interesting to see what looks like it's been copied from somewhere else, right? Because it's getting there so much later than all these other pieces that may have borrowed from them first. Yeah, well, yeah, it is kind of funny. It's almost like, you know, stuff was still, like, but I mean, that's how a lot of things are done, right? It was like ideas are built off of other ideas, right? So it is funny that, like, Foundation would have inspired something, and then now, like, maybe that thing has now inspired Foundation, right? So, you know, that reciprocal circle is kind of interesting. 
Now, this is a, a, a complete kind of tangent, but I, it kind of relates in some ways. Uh, have you? Now, I think I asked you a couple of days ago, but have you watched any of Star Wars Visions now? No, I haven't seen any of it. Yeah, no, it's a, uh, I'll have to check it out. All right, I've only watched one one of the shorts myself, but the first thing I kind of thought about was it was interesting that obviously Star Wars borrows a, borrows a lot from Kurosawa and the Hidden Fortress and a lot of those kind of ideas that George Lucas really liked and kind of used them in Star Wars. And it's interesting to now have an anime that kind of takes Star Wars and kind of does a Japanese thing with it. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, homaging an homage to Japanese cinema. So it's interesting to kind of see, you know, that two levels removed. Like the first episode is very much... Um, it, it reminded me a lot of elements of the, the Hidden Fortress and the kind of idea of there kind of being a, uh, a Ronin who kind of sees bad things happening and what they're going to do about it. But again, in the Star Wars kind of universe. So it's an interesting marriage of anime, storytelling, and Star Wars. So I would definitely recommend you try it out. Uh, it's obviously very different. It's you know not meant to be kind of connected to current Star Wars stuff. It's just kind of trying something different. And and they're all pretty short. I think usually they're you know 12 to 20 minutes, so they're not even like you're investing a lot of time. And again, I've only watched the first one so far, but I definitely recommend it because it's, it's interesting to see a different take on Star Wars, which again was already a different take on kind of uh, Eastern cinema. Yeah, well, I mean, Mandalorian as well, like went back to the source material, sort of, to say, right? And oh, look, at, sure. uh, look how that's turned out, right? That, I mean, some people say it saved the franchise, right? I agree, because uh, the rest of it hasn't been all that great, so... <laughs> no, hasn't been all that great, but yeah, something like Mandalorian, which I guess the the thing you can always take from it is it always feels like it's made with love. Like, you can tell that they love what they're doing and they're putting together, and when you have a cr- uh, creative team... And, and that goes through every level of the creative team, from the actors to the writers to the producers, everyone involved. If they love what they're doing, it's going to come out on screen. And so you just need to have people love the material. And I think, again, coming back to, I apologize to Picard, but it always felt like, you know, that wasn't that no one loved it. I felt like, you know, Patrick Stewart obviously has a, a love for the character and for the story, but did anyone else there love it? I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, Michael Shabon is, is known for the, for the books, right? So it's not that it's it. I think it's just, it depends, right? It, it depends on if they get the, the material. To me, J.J. Abrams doesn't understand Star Wars or Star Trek, right? He just sees visual images, with the, you know, and that's what, to him, is Star Wars or Star Trek, right? It's like, ooh, this is what it looks like. Hmm. But I don't think he really gets it. But I think he's a, he, he wants to be, a, like, a Spielberg, but he, he, with the, he's so, he, he just doesn't get anything, like, in the sense of, like, what what actually is the the interesting you know elements of of this unique property versus you know another? Mm-hmm. I don't think he gets it. He just throws mysteries in everything and then never puts proper endings on them. Yeah, and it is interesting that he, as you said, like he is a good visual storyteller, but he's just not doesn't really necessarily understand what he's t- telling. Uh, Lucas, to some degree, in a way, right as well. Yeah, so that's that, true. Uh, so yeah, so I don't know. So I guess the uh, let's let's kind of end the conversation about foundation. So as you said, you're gonna you know you're gonna continue to see it through, and hopefully when it's all over, we can have kind of a discussion about what that first season ended up looking like in full. Um, I guess how would you what would your your final kind of rating on this episode? I mean, it's a pilot episode, so obviously you know there's they're setting something up, they're setting up the arc, they're setting up the characters. We're not getting everything. We're getting tantalizing you know elements of you know who is Salvor Harden. With who's that character going to be? What does that mean? What is Terminus going to look like? But generally speaking, how would you rate this episode given what it does set up? 
what are we out of ten? Let's do it out of ten. Yeah. I'll give it a seven and a half. Okay. It's perfectly yeah, done. I, I just feel like with the um, you know it, it does dump a lot of info at you at the end, and it, it's kind of slow at the beginning, so the pace is kind of off a little. With the um, I get it to a certain degree because there is a lot going on, but um, I just feel like it could have been maybe paced a little bit better. I feel like I would agree with you. Uh, I was leaning. I was like, do I go an eight? I'm not sure. Do I go seven? I think seven and a half is probably fair. It's not bad by any means. Um, obviously, you know, there's just a lot going on. And I think like with any show these days, it's not It's not like back in the day where a pilot was a pilot, right? Like a pilot like kind of set it up, but it didn't necessarily, it wasn't chapter one. And a lot of, especially these days with sci-fi, you're getting chapter one of this story. You're not getting an episode that's kind of setting up the world we're going to live in and have adventures. So it's very different. So I think as a chapter one, it does a serviceable job of, again, introducing the characters in the world and the concepts. It has a lot of heavy lifting to do. It does a pretty good job of doing it. Um, And I'm very curious what we're going to get as we continue. Yeah, for sure. It leaves you interested, like, so in that sense it works. I just feel like it could have been paced out a little bit better, maybe. Like, not have all that info dump at the end. Spread it out a little bit in there, but it is hard. It's, it's You can clearly tell that they have a lot to try to pack into the first episode. Again, in a lot of ways, I'm, you know, commending them for even being able to make this coherent. Because, again, the, the original book is so heady, and, again, it jumps around... And, uh, again, it's not as worried about character and it's a lot more kind of the overall plots. And again, it's, it's an exquisite book. It's really well done, but how do you make that a story? You know, how do you make it uh, a TV series with, you know, and I think that's the biggest challenge is that, and I'm curious what they, how they do it is that there's a lot of characters, but really just a lot of time that the book captures in terms of, it's not all in the same time period. We, we do have a jump or jumps so I'm just very curious more than anything how they're going to handle that because I think that's the hardest thing for a a TV audience or any viewing audience to really grapple with is that you know you want to settle in and follow characters well what if you have a story that doesn't really allow you to do that how you how do you make that a story that can still compels people um I think in a lot of ways it almost needs to be like an anthology series uh, in different time periods, but they're all kind of connected. But I don't know how that works either. So I'm very curious to see how they play, how they uh, how they put it all together. As I said, I'm already impressed that they were able to come this far and do this well. I'm just curious how the rest of it goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, time will tell. Time will tell. So sometime in November it'll end, and we'll talk about it again. Sounds good. Excellent. Well, if you want to email the show, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Rate the show on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. I want to thank Tibor for joining me for this episode and for talking about Foundation, which, again, I'm a huge fan of the books, so I knew I had to watch this, so I'm excited that we got to talk about it on the podcast. And again, when we when the, sh- the season is over, we will come back and t- talk about it again in November. So thanks again for joining me, Tibor. No problem. All right. Bye, everybody.